That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake, here we are to talk about the first Sunday in October. We're deep into pumpkin spice latte season. <laughs> I was just uh, pumpkin the flavored same beers, thing. candles, yeah. witches and broomsticks are flooding your neighborhood Target uh, mm-hmm. or in, in New York. Your little Trader Joe's near you there has all kinds of uh, Halloween themed things. Right. Uh, but for us Christians, it's known as just the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost mm-hmm. as we head into uh, into October. So uh, we've got readings here from uh, Lamentations 2, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we get a, a, a reading from 2 Timothy as we continue in the pastoral epistles, and then Luke 17. But just really quick before we dive in, how are you doing psychodynamically? You know, I am hanging in there. Uh, Thank you for asking, and uh, you know, just uh, what what a what a what a great group of readings we have here for us today to walk <laughs> through and to encourage preachers to <clears throat> share the gospel and to um, um, and to give the gospel. And so, anyway, how are you doing, Aaron? I'm okay. I'm getting over a little bit of a uh, some sort of viral thing, mm. uh, um, but that's why you my voice has a slightly scratchy yet attractive quality to it yeah. right now. <laughs> Luther Vandross quality, as someone says. A, so. little, <laughs> a little lower this, this day, but I'm, I'm good. It's still, we're recording uh, in early September. Uh, it's still hot as blazes in Texas. It's supposed to be uh, in the hundreds this week uh, for the highs. So we are still hot and dry, just mm. like a sauna down here. Mm. At least, uh, uh, you know, we have some other mocking bird podcasters who live down in Houston, which is kind of the swampy, humid part. I live in the middle of the state, the dry part, and I'm doing all right. But I think uh, I'm, as I listen to myself talk about whether even I am getting bored. Yeah. So let's just move on to <laughs> Thank you. the Bible. Yeah, I was I was falling right. asleep. So, um, but uh, here we are, yeah. and we are in. Um, the Bible gives us uh, the lectionary takes a, a brief break from Jeremiah to really depress you and bring you to Lamentations. Now, when you get to Lamentations in the lectionary, you'll see Lamentations, the first part is Lamentations chapter one, verses one through six, which is, ugh. And so when you are preparing your worship, you need, you need to add Lamentations, the second part, three, Lamentations chapter three, verses 19 through 26. And have that in there in bold as a response to the reading. So, because it's so depressing, but essentially the, the story of Lamentations, a lot of people, um, of course, believe it was written by Jeremiah. Um, I happen to believe that. But uh, Israel has just, during Lamentations, there has been two major sackings of Jerusalem. The first was in 598 BC by Nebuchadnezzar. And the first time he uh, sacked it, he basically took all of the nobility out of Jerusalem and sent them away. 
And then in 587, of course, there were, were reports and false prophets in the land who were saying, this exile is just a little thing. We got to rise up. You know, now it's time to step to the plate and do it for Jesus or do it for Yahweh. And uh, we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to really overthrow the Babylonians. And uh, in um, 587, um, uh, the king of uh, Judah bought that nonsense and uh, King Zedekiah and essentially uh, started a rebellion in which Nebuchadnezzar came down and just like the Lord said, uh, squashed that rebellion and so and destroyed Judah per, like completely. And the point yeah. being is that this is after the <clears throat> destruction of um, all of this is written in exile. This is um, Jeremiah, if you will, looking back upon the ruins of the city and describing exactly how bad it actually is. Yeah, and uh, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this before. The good thing about Lamentations being in the Bible is that it um, makes sure Christians know that they are allowed to be sad. They're allowed to lament. They're allowed to mourn. They're allowed to wail. They're allowed to name how bad things get. Um <laughs> And I, so, I love that. Uh, I love that Babylon B article that said that um, the headline was uh, Joel Olstein shot to find lamentations in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this is not uh, repeating words of promise to just make yourself feel better. It's a pretty yeah. dark picture. The yeah. way lamentations begins um, a ghost town. I mean, tumbleweeds blowing through mm. uh, no one there. If you see some of the pictures of like the thousands of malls that have closed across the United States mm. where the center atrium is now re like returning to nature and there's animals and plants and uh, it's sort of like that. And uh, much of upstate New York. Imagine that. And so, <clears throat> yeah, where uh, there used to be a gap and a yeah. forever 21. Now That's it's right. just uh, trees. So the other, uh, the other powerful it, description is how like a widow she has become. She that was yeah. great among the nations, you know, and in, in those days, uh, to be a widow um, without any children, boy, that is, that's a bad thing. Or a princess who's now become a vassal um, and, uh, and uh, who weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. You know, all of the little gods and all of the Baals and Asherahs that uh, Judah had worshipped um, are not going to comfort her now. Yeah, the the best uh, folk rock song uh, to to get at this that people may be familiar with is uh, "Like a Rolling Stone" by Bob Dylan. Once upon a time, you mm. dressed so fine, threw the bums of dime in your prime, didn't you? And then obviously he goes on to say, like you know, now you're scrounging your next meal. How does it feel? to be without a home, like a complete unknown. I want to sing the whole thing, but I won't. But anyways, it's sort of that kind of deal. Like you used to be riding your high, high horse and now look at you. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's all over. And, mm. and the the word that, you know, amongst her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. This isn't just a metaphor um, to say that she's lonely. Mm. By lovers, it means the idolatrous relationships mm. that Israel has had with foreign gods that um, she left her husband, Yahweh, essentially, and was committing adultery with these other gods. Uh, and so these were her lovers, and, and now they've all left her high and dry. Mm. She, she, um, she sort of, she thought the grass would be greener on the other side, and she found out that it is definitely not. And, and so she has um, made her bed, and now she's Boy. lying in it, in a sense. And, 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 and isn't, that the case, isn't that the case oftentimes with life, you know what I mean? And uh, we always think that the grass is greener or something else will save us. 
And, uh, you know, and like a lot of things, it winds up just leaving us completely empty. You know, um, yep. those, you know, those things that we've pursued that we thought would give us joy now turn us into like priests, as it says, who groan. I mean, that, yeah. is a, that is a big deal because the priest was the one to lead the nation in praise. And now it's, it's, it's groaning. And this is, this is what life is when we chase after false idols and what, what happens when we chase after false gods, which we all do. You know, maybe you know someone who is in the thralls of addiction. Maybe you know someone, maybe it's you, you know, and um, uh, you, you, you thought something else was going to be a lot, lot better. And it has left you high and dry. And uh, if, if that's ever been a part of your life, you can relate deeply. There's, there's a real, and I like what you said earlier, you know, this, this reminds us that the Christian life and the Christian faith um, is not always a bed of roses. Um, you know, yeah. and that sin has serious freaking consequences. Serious freaking consequences. Frickin'. And so, uh, with a capital F. So. Uh, let's just say we're. <laughs> I'm glad that Jeremiah was more eloquent than yeah. you, Jake. Frickin'. So. Uh, and it is. It is beautiful poetry, but it is striking and uh, dark. The the very roads to Zion are mourning. Uh, because no one can go. Again, they're in exile. They're in Babylon. They can't even go to Zion, so mm -hmm. the roads are empty. No one comes to the festivals. I mean, imagine having a party and no one is there. The gates are desolate. And festivals, that's religious life. Like, they're not even able to have their old religious festivals anymore. The gates being desolate in verse 4, mm -hmm. you know, the gate is where around this walled city where people would come in and people would go out. Now nobody's going in. Because nobody wants to go to a pile of rubble, and no one's coming out because everybody's been killed, um, and uh, and it, it ends. The reading ends with this really sad, just uh, it's heartbreaking. Her princes, Jerusalem's princes, have become like stags that find no mm. pasture. So imagine you're like this animal looking for a place to eat and drink and rest. And there is none. It's like, imagine if you come home and there's a smoking crater mm. where your house used to be. Um, and that's that's their life now. Um, mm. No rest and no home. So major disruption to their life. The entire thing that they thought God would give them is now gone. And so, and, and Lamentations, verses 1 through 6, does not soften the blow and it doesn't give you any hope. So I think, you know, I don't know if you want to preach on this, but certainly in preachers, but pastoral counseling, one of the things that this passage gives you just kind of um, about what we said at the top of the podcast, like you, you can allow people to express the fullness of their grief and you don't have to feel like you have to add a spiritual band-aid to stop them from talking about mm. their pain because it's uncomfortable for you. So when somebody's talking about, and this is for any Christian that finds himself in a position where they're kind of a pastor to another hurting person, mm. let them moan, let them fully express their loneliness, their mourning, the fact that they are fleeing without strength before the pursuer, that their lot is bitter. Like, don't try to come in there before they finished and say, the Lord won't give you more than you can handle. Yeah, please. Or, you know, <sighs> what is God trying to teach you in this? Like, let them at least have their lamentations mm, moment. That's like absolutely the, right. the kind of res the response that we're going to have in um, that the lectionary gives us for this Sunday is Lamentations 3, starting in verse 19. But just don't jump to that before you let people have their lamentations one moment. And so uh, yeah. that's, that's all I want to say about that. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I always, when people start to cry, and this is, 
Um, I never give them a, a box of Kleenex. You know, you sometimes you got to let them really cry it out nice and hard, snot everywhere. Um, and you giving yep. them a box of Kleenex is actually you subconsciously saying, I'm deeply uncomfortable stop. here, stop. And so you got to just let them go at it. And, um, and the truth is, is that Lamentations 3, 19 through 26, is the word of hope in the midst of it. But notice how it begins too. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually yep. thinks of it and is bowed down within me. You know, so here you see almost kind of the like the, the justified and the saint or the sinner and the saint at the same time here in this moment. Like, you know, your, your wounds, your crosses and your afflictions in this age, they don't go away. And the thought of it is, is you know, sometimes things that we've done, um, uh, they have ramifications that have real lasting effects. Um, we've got this, uh, I, I have a, a, an amazing parishioner and that's all I'm going to say, um, but he, um, his life um, has put him into a certain circumstance. And uh, I've talked about it and I just have thought, you know, a couple of times, damn, like, how do you go forward in life with everything that's gone on? And, um, and the truth is, is that the hope of the gospel is uh, present even in our wounds. God does not abandon us in the midst of the darkest parts of our life. And so, you know, but he, he's not like, um, my soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down before me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. You see, what the, the, the guy, the author of Lamentations is doing is, is that in the midst of his struggle, he's not just moving on, he's not just getting over it, he's looking back to something. He's looking back to the faithfulness of God. And, uh, and that is what gives him hope in the midst of his struggle. Uh, that is what gives him peace in the midst of the struggle. And, and uh, eventually the ability to say these profound words, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And really oftentimes in the midst of heavy duty wounds, such as the one that we see in Lamentations that have been brought on by ourselves, to uh, right. wait on the Lord is good. Yeah, I mean this. This that's that's so right. And this statement, "Great is your faithfulness." Obviously, if you're a church person, you know that because that's a hymn that you've probably sung. "Great is thy faithfulness." "Great is thy faithfulness," etc. Um, uh, and this, yeah, the mercies are new each morning. All of that. That's that's where this comes from. But and I think it's great if you know that that hymn comes from this scripture and it doesn't come from a place where you're at the top of your game and you wake up in your mansion and um, uh, everything's great. Mm. This passage comes from a place where everything has fallen apart. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. They hoped it wouldn't come to the worst, but it has. The worst thing that could possibly happen has happened. And I was just talking to somebody recently about... Uh, someone they know who is in middle age and got divorced and just couldn't really reconcile the fact that that this had happened to them because it just was never what they thought of. And a lot of our prayers are sort of, God, don't let this bad thing happen to me. Don't let this bad thing happen to me. Because if it does, then I'll be desperate. And what's amazing about this is the bad thing has happened. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And yet somehow he's still able to say, Great is your faithfulness and your mercies are new every morning. So, and that's not, he's, this is not a Jack Handy, like you're good enough, you're smart enough and gosh darn it, people like you. He's not entering into sort of self-deception and denial. Right. Um, he's, he's, as you said, that, that Christian idea of being justified in a sinner here, you can recognize the awfulness of your situation and still 
say God is God and um, do both these things. Be honest about both things at the same time. Um, we just wait on God whose love never ceases, even though we are in the gutter. And that's exactly where Jesus is on the cross. So this mm. is also kind of pointing us to that. And Christians need to be able to see that God is, as we've said before, not abandoning us in suffering, but somehow present. It does, God isn't with you only when things are good. God has not abandoned you when things are bad. If we are people who can look at Christ on the cross and say God is in that, then we have to be able to pe- people who can look at the stuff in our own lives that messed up and say we have not been abandoned. God is with us, and we see that in this Lamentations mm. three. So there's a very Christocentric, cruciform sort of way of understanding life here, which so many Christians don't have because they've been filled with this thing of like glory and victory and triumph and, and yes, but those things are real, but not a hundred percent and not yet. Um, yes in Christ, but not always now we are in a veil of tears. All right, stop talking. So, well, let's uh, move on to the epistle, and, uh, and uh, we come to 2 Timothy. Because I've completely exhausted Lamentations. There's nothing else to say about that. So <laughs> You beat that dead horse. So, anyway, ah! but, uh, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Um, and here we are um, in this uh, pastoral epistle. And, uh, um, and basically what we have here is just an opening, like always. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, you know, and uh, basically he's stating his authority and to whom. And, uh, but he uh, really hits here and he says, I'm grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. This is an interesting statement, especially when you think about what we just read about in Lamentations. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. um, Israel was not known for having a clear conscience. So what does he mean right. here? Well, as my ancestors did, if the new nation uh, is the church, which lives by faith, then um, the ancestors by which we are also connected with is the Israel of God of the Old Testament, which believed in God and his promises by faith, which then, whether it be David, who was an adulterer, Abraham, who was constantly an anxious person, um, you know, vacillating all the time between promises, whether whoever it is, they had faith, and that was credited to them as righteous. And it is that yep. faith, that righteousness, that gives a person a clear conscience, just as Paul's ancestors and your ancestors did. And so he remembers Timothy with that. Yep. And I think, you know, th- this again, these are these are called, First and Second Timothy and, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they're Paul writing to, as a pastor, to a pastor, giving advice to pastors. But I think this applies to everybody. And if there was one thing that I was going to preach from this passage in 2 Timothy, it would be try to help a congregation understand the importance of doctrine. Um, And it's something that Paul talks about a lot. And here for Timothy, he's saying part of your your own personal well-being as well as your effectiveness in ministry is based on keeping true to the truth, Gosh. keeping the main thing, the main thing. That's and he awesome. says a couple times, so, because a lot of people, you know, statistics have just come out recently about the Episcopal Church and its decline. And and there's a lot of reasons, and some have to do with what's inside the church, and some have to do with wider societal things. But a lot of people think that if we just were to focus on the golden rule, that's the center of Christianity, uh, um, then and th- that's, we would be fine. Um, and I think 
that misses the point. Paul doesn't say here yep. that the golden rule is the center of Christianity. What he says here is the testimony about our Lord. Um, That's right. And uh, mm. and he and he gets even clearer about it. Uh, um, what has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. So it's a reference to Easter, to the resurrection, mm. and. Um, and in verse 13 says, hold to the standard of sound teaching, and he describes what that is in verse 9, that he has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the, the main thing that the church is supposed to announce is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and given us salvation, which we don't earn. And so, the reason doctrine matters, and it's so important to Paul, is not because we have to pass some sort of test or because we have to check some box to make some clergyman happy, uh, but it's because if you believe that your salvation is something you have to do on your own, you will constantly end up in despair. If you think that religion is just about loving your neighbor, it's not going to work because you can barely love your own family. You, you're so crazy about the people who live in your house. And you'll go to church, you'll feel, oh, yes, love my neighbor, that's good. And then you'll turn on the news, and whatever you see will make you angry at the people out there who are running the country wrong. And that's true whether you're a liberal or a conservative. You always think somebody's running the country wrong. And then you'll have to deal with the people in your house who be mad at them. So you won't love people out there. You won't love people in here. And you'll be like, ah, I'm not a very good Christian. Well, the Christianity is mostly about the fact that God has forgiven your sins. And that's what Paul is trying to get Timothy to remember. And so if I were to preach this, it would be about doctrine, why it matters. And the doctrine that matters, to, as I read it here, is the gospel. That's right. I'm ranty today, Jake. Boy, I mean, what else needs to be said there? That's A+. Plus. And um, yeah. Woo! So, but then, sound teaching. But then, Hold to the sound teaching. Yeah, but then so since you're so on fire, Aaron, um, maybe you can answer a question for Ooh. me, or one of our listeners might be asking because I know the answer. But um, so when it <laughs> opens up in our gospel reading with the apostle saying to the Lord, "Increase our faith," you know, um, mm. it almost sounds like we got to do something. What 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 do you think? He's, what do you think they're trying to get at here? What's the point of the gospel then here as we move forward? Well, to quote Derek Zoolander, let me answer your question with another question. <laughs> How many aboriginals do you see modeling? <laughs> All right. So, no, that's a great that's a great question. By the way, somebody a, a listener recently told told me how he appreciates how I make these jokes and then Jake just ignores them. But let me tell you listeners, Jake has a silent laugh. Yes, absolutely. He, he chuckles. He chuckles, and uh, he does it. Now, you heard a little laughing there, but anyways, Jake <laughs> thinks I'm very funny. I think you're right. hilarious. So, why are they asking to increase their faith? This is one of those questions where, you know, the context matters. So, the passage begins in Luke 17, with verse 5, and like always, what happens before that matters. So, mm. Jesus has just said in verse 4 that you need to forgive your brother who sins against you. And if he repents, you forgive him. If he sins and repents again, you forgive him. And so he's, you know, he says like, you know, over and over, if he does this, you got to keep forgiving him. So this is kind of a variant of Jesus' teaching of the forgiving 70 times seven. Right. And the disciples, once they hear you got to forgive somebody, you're not allowed to hold a grudge. Um, they say, increase our faith because they realize this mm. is a really hard thing. That's so thing. that's where the, like, yeah. So that's where that, question uh, comes from. And he says, what I think has always been a beautiful thing, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, 
you could say to this tree, you know, go be rooted in the tree, in the sea, and it would obey you. And um, this is not, by the way, listeners, some people may think that you could then literally say to a tree, go sit in the sea. Sometimes we forget that Jesus uses figures of speech like we do. You can say it's raining cats and dogs, or you could fry an egg on the sidewalk, (laughs) and none of those things are literally true. Dogs and cats are not falling from the sky. Um, But anyway, so Jesus is using a figure of speech like that. Basically saying impossible things can happen if you have even just a tiny bit of faith. Impossible things like forgiving somebody who's wronged you again and again. Also, knowing that context explains what happens next. So, Jake, what would you say about verse 7 and following? Well, um, you know, I think connected there with what they say, increase our faith so that we can do this. And then, you know, somehow we'll be justified before you because we're such forgiving people. You know, we're such uh, great people. And this is where Jesus comes in with this very, um, this this kind of a, this stern almost parable, if you will, where he says, who among you would say to your slave who's just come in from plowing or tending the sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Uh, nobody would say that. You know what I mean? Um, you, uh, uh, you know, you tell them to get to back to work and, uh, and, and, and drink and, uh, or, and make your drink and food. And the, the point being here is that um, what Jesus is getting at here is that nobody's going to um, reward you for what you're supposed to be doing. You know, it's kind of like, um, what was that? You remember Chris Rock? He talked about that, that the stuff, you know, um, you know, oh, I'm a good dad. I'm a good dad. You can't knock me. I'm a good dad. He's like, you're supposed to be a good dad. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a great employee. Well, you're supposed to be a good employee because you're being paid. And uh, what, yeah. Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is, is that you are a creature and you are supposed to be forgiven. But this ultimately kind of hidden in here is where we begin to find the gospel for this particular passage. And that is, is that you you, uh, are not a slave uh, because one has become a slave for you and uh, named Jesus. And, uh, And because in Jesus, all of the sins of the world have been taken upon him. You have been forgiven greatly, so much so that actually um, something greater than um, a mulberry tree being moved has happened. Um, the uh, distance and the chasm between you and God has been completely removed. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, Jesus is using an illustration from everyday life here. And the, the modern analog would be like if when you go to Applebee's on Friday night, and you're having your jalapeno poppers, you do not ask your server to sit down next to you. Mm-hmm. And also, likewise, nor should your server be like, I did a great job bringing them those jalapeno off poppers. Well, you, you know, <laughs> you're paying for them. So, you know, you shouldn't pat yourself on the back for that. He's saying, yeah, as Christians, we should not feel all special because we did a nice thing. We are the ones who serve God and right. God has commanded us to forgive. We are the forgiven ones. And so we shouldn't feel like we're amazing because we did what Jesus said to do. But the uh, incredible thing, as you rightly point out, is the other passages in the Bible where we have uh, Jesus saying, but actually I am this crazy master who mm-hmm. is going to get up. And, uh, and hey, we got a Jake uh, offspring in the office. This is like that BBC clip on the news where <laughs> some guy was talking about <laughs> geopolitical events and his daughter came in. I think there's a Henry uh, yeah, who's uh, right. made his appearance. What's up, buddy? Um, yeah, so... You know, Jesus says, yeah, it would be crazy for you to, as a servant, be invited to sit down with the uh, with the master. 
but yeah, that's exactly what does happen later on. Mm -hmm. Jesus is this kind of crazy master that that uh, uh, would love to serve his people. That's amazing. And um, what does Henry think about Luke seventeen? Yeah, I don't know what his thoughts are on it, but uh, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I've lost my train of thought. So anyway, <laughs> I think uh, what you that's just the said kind is of real world. <laughs> podcast this is so we're I not think out there uh, we're not up in the ivory tower we're in the trenches we are in the trenches life. man um well you're in an ivory tower there uh in waco texas <clears throat> I, well but, we are know, it's clo- limestone cloistered off kids in the cage so anyway but uh, um <laughs> oh uh, this is a great place i think to end and so <laughs> <laughs> great or not we're ending yeah so that does it for the 22nd sunday after pentecost uh or no sorry proper 22 but uh it is the what is it i'm even losing my turn at 17th sunday after pentecost all, i think i said that wrong at the beginning all, don't all send I me know hate is mail listeners. Year C, so <laughs> that's right your c that'll do it happy preaching somebody's looking somebody cares somebody wonders what you're doing today you know we crucified him buried him but Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.